0: One of the big sort of wake-up calls for me, really, was, was understanding. I think there's a kind of folk belief, especially in the West, that what motivates people is money. And, you know, when you're at school, the reason that you're doing exams and things is because you need money, 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 money. But actually, I think what's, what's more important than money to the vast majority of people is identity, is who you are, you know, what games you're playing. Our brains aren't designed to deal with very high status. Our brains are tribal. Our brains are a tool for life in a small group. They're not designed to have these kind of global levels of status. And I think it, for most people who achieve that, it sends them a bit crazy. Humans can never be permanently happy because this stuff can always be taken away. And there's always another mountain to climb. But it's functional because it keeps us climbing those mountains. It keeps us out there in the world, pushing and pushing and improving, improving.
1: Welcome to the Mindset Matters podcast. I'm Dr. Jemile Roberts. Shakespeare famously wrote, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. But what are they playing? My guest on today's podcast, multi-award winning and best-selling author Will Straw, will tell you that they're in fact playing the status game. And no, it's not just the celebrities and the wannabes playing this game. It's in fact all of us. A concept that I found a little shocking when I first read his book, as you'll soon find out. Will's fascination with human life, how we become who we are, and what makes you, you, is at the heart of his passion to research and study the human condition. His books on the topic include Selfie, The Status Game, which we'll talk about in depth during this episode, and of course the Sunday Times bestseller, The Science of Storytelling if you're sitting there thinking, no way, I don't play a status game, be prepared to have your mindset challenged. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. And if you do, check out the Mindset Matters Hub, where you'll find courses, resources and masterclasses on the topics that Will and I chat about during this episode. Hi Will, hello. Thank you for joining me on the Mindset Matters podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you Gemma. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to having a chat.
1: I have been. So as we've just had a little chat before we start recording, I've had my head in your books for the last few weeks. I mean, I've read them already anyway, so you're on my list of people I'd love to interview, but I've kind of been delving into it a bit more and, and listening to your voice across loads of different interviews. And I have been... Absolutely absorbed by this idea of the status game, which is your latest book. Can you describe what the status game is, please?
0: Yeah, so the idea of the status game is that, you know, one of the things that psychologists have figured out recently is the feeling of sort of having some status in the life is a need, is a psychological need. It's not something just nice to have. We need it. And if we don't have it, we suffer and so the book is sort of, up, sort of just exploring how that works um you know it's a subconscious need we are very good at kind of hiding the need from ourselves but obviously with a bit of self-insight you can see it manifesting in all parts of it all the lots of different parts of your life and we play multiple games for status that you know we so, so, so human life is made up of multiple sort of almost infinite status games and, and much of what we do um, with our lives is, is, is playing these various games
1: and that is kind of what blew my mind when I first started delving into this idea. Because obviously, from a psychology perspective, I haven't really considered the idea of status too much previously in my work. So my research is around kind of mindset, resilience, what makes us, or what helps us to thrive or not thrive. And I really haven't considered, or hadn't, I should say, considered status in that mix very much previously. And when, I found it, I found it quite hard to digest initially, that we're all playing a status game because... I guess I've got preconceived ideas about what status is. And when I think of people who play a status game in the way that I would imagine, they're probably the kind of people that I try to avoid generally in life. or (laughs) Because I'm probably thinking of a certain type of status. So to read that we are all in one way or another playing a status game is actually a little bit of an uncomfortable truth for me. However, I felt very positive about that by the end of the book. So are we all playing this game? Is it like is it a need? It's something we have to do as humans?
0: yeah, so so one of one of the reasons that people kind of really pull back from this idea, and they do really pull back from this idea uh, that, uh, you have people who kind react very emotionally to it. You, when you say we're all playing status games, what what they hear is everybody wants to be famous, everybody wants to be rich, everybody wants to be a celebrity and and that that isn't it at all. It's just you know fame, celebrity money those, those are three ways that we can play status games, but there are infinite games to play, and there are infinite ways of measuring status. So if you're into, you know, I don't know, religion or sort of Buddhism, the status game you're playing is the opposite. It's, it's almost like how how much can I live without? You know, there, there, there are status games which which sort of based around asceticism. We know how little can I eat, how little, how few possessions can I get by on, and, and the fewer possessions you can get by on, the better you feel, and the more the more the people around you hold you in esteem, to the higher you kind of rise in status. So there, there were infinite status games. There are infinite ways that we could measure status. And and it really isn't necessary to do about money or fame or power or any of those things. I mean, of course, there are lots of people that play those status games, but lots and lots of us don't.
1: And there's three key types of status games that you go through in your book, aren't there? What are they?
0: Yeah, so there are there are three sort of major games that we that we play as human beings. I mean, the first game is the is the game that most animals play, almost all animals play from sort of single cell bacteria upwards, and that's the dominance game. And dominance status is all about force and threat. So it could be violence, but it also you know, physical violence or the threat of physical violence. But it also could be social violence, it can be name calling, reputation destruction, sort of bullying, all that stuff. So we've been playing those games for millions of years. Sadly we still play those games today. You know, you can't eradicate that. That much evolution out of the system, but for tens of thousands of years, we've been playing these much more sophisticated games. These games of reputation as human beings, and that's because we're these tribal apes with these you know these tribal animals. And to to exist and survive and thrive in the context of tribes, we have to show that we're a value to the tribe. You know that's really what status is. You know the technical definition of status is is the feeling that we are of value to other people. So there are two ways of doing that in the human tribe. The first way is with, with virtuous acts. So a valuable person in, in in a tribe is perhaps courageous or selfless, um, um, kind. Um, um, the, the, but virtue is also about the rules. It's about knowing the rules and enforcing the rules, and knowing the sacred beliefs of the group and enforcing them, and making sure everybody believes the right things. So it's it has, virtue has definitely has a dark side. And then the other way that you're a value to the tribe is by being useful. So you you can be a great storyteller, a great honey finder, a great you know a sorcerer so so those are the three goals dominance virtue and success and we see that that's that's been human life for tens of thousands of years and it's still human life today if you think about the pope uh the, the pope is a very high status individual but not because he's particularly good at anything but he, he's not a competence-based status it's because he's um and it's the same as the royal family that's a virtue game that's about rules and deference um they're not particularly competent you know the, the, the royal family or the or the pope but their their status is based on on this idea of kind of virtue but compare that to kind of like serena williams and she she's very much a success superstar she you know she's famous gordon ramsay they're famous pop stars are famous because they're really really good at something and that's a different kind of
1: status and so we when we're looking for, i mean i know we're not doing it consciously necessarily maybe sometimes we are maybe i say most time we're probably not even is it about protecting our egos, or is it about more about wanting to belong and connect, or both?
0: Well, it's not about... I mean, the reason I, call, I just call them a status game is because they've got these two components, really. And, you know, to play a game with other people, you've got to first connect. You've got to connect in with the, with the people. So it's partly about belonging, but, but, but belonging and status are separate things. Like, they're both equally important. Lots of people... There's lots of books about belongingness and connection and all that stuff. It's really, really important stuff. And one of the reasons I wrote the status game is because this is the other half of the equation that nobody seems to have be thinking very much about. But they are separate, you know, they are separate needs and they're, they're both needs. Like, we, you know, it's quite well known now that we need to belong. And, if, and loneliness is, is extremely bad for you psychologically, but it's also extremely bad for you physically. And, and, but the same is true of status. And I think, you know, the way I like to think of status, as I said before, is, is about, it's just about being a value. Nobody wants to feel loved but useless. Like, oh, people like me, but people think I'm rubbish, you know, like everything I do. Like, that, that, that's not what we like as humans. We want to feel like people love us, but also that we're, that we're valuable, that we know something or that or we're kind and we're good, uh, you know, and we're courageous or selfless. So these are also very, very important things to human beings. And it's, and it's great that they are important. It's amazing the human animal has evolved this, this need um, to be seen as valuable by our, you know, the, the other people in our tribe, because that compels us to become valuable. It compels us to become useful.
1: I guess that's what pushes us forward as individuals, but also like collectively as well. That's how we do great things collectively. And it's a really interesting way of looking at that process. Because, you know, when I initially was thinking about status, and my initial reaction when I found that quite a scary concept. So I was like, no, there's no way I play a status game. No. Um, And then actually reading the book, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I actually do play, because we all do play various status games. I mean, think about the fact, like, this is a not for profit podcast. Like, and it it got me thinking about the fact, is that a virtue? Well, it is a virtue game, isn't it? that's, That's part of what's building that so it doesn't necessarily so what what i'm getting at what i'm hope i'm right in saying here is that status isn't necessarily a bad thing there are lots of amazing things that can come from i'm not necessarily saying this podcast but there are lots of amazing things that can come from that and i had to really challenge my thinking on that and i'm guessing you've had lots of people in that position as well
0: totally yeah yeah people people think it's kind of dirty to see it in these in these ways but it really isn't it's just an explanation like you know all the major parts of the human condition are there for a reason that they, they started for a reason there's, there's a reason that we care that people think that we're kind people you know and just explaining the reason which is that we we've evolved to care about our reputation and that we have and we've evolved to care about having a good reputation that doesn't nullify the kind the kindness it just explains it so but yeah and I, and i think it is partly rooted in that that concept we have of status being about greed uh, but it isn't. It's about value, and actually, as, as I said, it's it's the fact that we. It's very important to us that that, that people value our contribution to others. It, it, it is a wonderful thing. So, so, so it's, I don't think it's dirty or soiled at all. I mean, you know, people millions of people volunteer for organisations and charities. People join the army. They don't do that for money. They do that. For some, for another reason, and they they do that because that's a, it's, a, it's a different kind of status game to play, and it and it allows them to feel like I'm making a contribution, I'm valuable, and that's great, and that's that's wonderful that they they do those things because you know we rely on those people hugely,
1: and it definitely puts a positive spin on the idea of we don't need a positive spin, you know this this desire is there, there's it's working with it, I think that's the important point you make in the book as well is that we may as well work with this, we're doing it, so we may as well understand it, and we may as well work with it and I also feel like it made me a lot less judgmental of others after reading your book because there probably have been points in time before where you know status games that other people are playing that perhaps I'm not playing those ones but I'm playing other games because let's be clear we're all playing our own games somewhere we're all you know probably multiple games as well as you make the point there probably have been times where I've looked at people and thought, actually, that is really not the game that I would play. Like, I just don't understand that. That's not the way that I would want to live my life. Or, And I think there's an element of judgment in there. As much as I hate to say it, there probably is an element of judgment in there. And I feel after I'm kind of understanding why we have this as part of our makeup why it's important to us individuals it makes me it's made me feel a lot less judgmental looking at other people and I think that's a really positive thing because if we all had a bit of that maybe we'd be a bit more tolerant
0: yeah I can it's had the same effects on me Gemma like it really has I mean you know for a couple of examples might be you know I was never a sporty person at school and and, and I and I fell for that kind of kind of slightly sort of patronizing Ooh, football why do people like football but once you understand that status is really important to people, and actually one of those people who play status games is they they support the football team. And when the when the football team wins, they, they get something out of that. You know, that, that status sort of th- that when Arsenal or Man United win, they get a, that benefit of status out of that for them as a supporter. Then you understand it's, it's actually really important to them. And another one, I mean, it sounds completely different, but it isn't. It's the same. It's like the royal family. I was always very, you know, anti-monarchist. But but there are millions of people in this country that who take huge pride in the, in being British and and having a royal family. You see them lining the streets during the weddings and the coronations. And so you know I, I'd have been quite happy to abolish the monarchy t- ten years ago. But now now I just from now you understand how it works. It feels like a cruel thing to say because while a lot of people take status from the royal family, and just because I don't it doesn't mean that they're wrong. And just because I don't like football and don't take any states from a football team, it doesn't mean that any that other, other people can't. And so, so so all these positions that I kind of quite smugly and thoughtlessly took, like lots of other people, left-wing people like me take, oh, you know, um, about the monarchy and, and so on, now just seem very selfish and very arrogant and very, very narrow-minded. So, you know, I, I'm now pro-monarchy, you know, in a sense, because I, I don't particularly take a great thrill in them, but I see how much pleasure they give millions of people in this country and the pleasure is in status that like these are people who look at the at King Charles or Kate and William and feel like, yeah, that's my that's my country. And I and I feel like a, a person of status because I'm British and, and these are my my royal family and, and more power to them. You know, that's great that they offer that. It's a psychological gift to, to, to millions of people in this country. Well, give they they kind of paid for with the taxes, but, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but that's <laughs> they're, they're offering amazing value. Story. They're they're offering value that, that, yeah. that, that, that most people don't see that they're offering. And quite aside from all the work they do for charity, they're they're offering that value too to the to the people that that take a great pleasure in their existence.
1: And what a wonderful perspective! Like from your point of view, going from something that you're very potentially anti something to like not even just tolerant but kind of embracing it that for someone else or for for another group of people I just think it's understanding this process of desiring status playing a status game finding what that is for you I just think first of all shift your mindset for all it shifted my mindset understanding this process in a way that probably was quite uncomfortable when I first started kind of delving into what it actually meant for me because I had to ask myself some uncomfortable questions you know there's someone who probably a status game that I was playing was probably that I don't play status games so I had to really yes. question that about myself I've had to you know shake up my mindset here but actually how do I think about status and actually maybe I am you know I've had to question myself but I think it also breeds tolerance as well and I think particularly in, you know if you think about the world we live in today more tolerance can only be a good thing in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, another way that it's sort of shifted my thinking is when you look at, um, you know, sort of juvenile um, criminality in, in younger people and 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 the kinds of people that join gangs in the streets of the cities, the kind of people that might join even a terrorist group. Th- these are often people from underprivileged parts of the country. They're often young people, young men who who are in kind of desperate need of status at that age. That that's what happens to the brain, but but because they're uh, the conditions of their life. His is status is hard to come by, and so, they, but, but they need it like we like we all need it. And so, if the if the game on offer that offers the most status to a lot of these young men is being in the gang or joining the Islamist group, then I understand much more now why they do that. You, you know, because they have they have a need that's been unmet by society. And so, so, so that's another way that the kind of this that seeing this has made me much more understanding of of behaviour that otherwise might, might have seemed inexplicable.
1: And when does this, like, need for status start? Does it start right back from when we are born or early childhood?
0: Well, um, it really comes online in adolescence. So we're born with it, but it's very kind of s- simple um, when we're growing up. And, and, and there's a developmental psychologist, Professor Bruce Hood, who talks about, um, you know, he, he analyses sort of the arguments that children have over the toys and who gets the toy. And, and he, you know, and he says that these, these are really arguments about status, you know, because who gets the toy? Is the person with the status so, so so It's always there even before we can speak. There, there, there are these battles for who's in charge, and of course, siblings are constantly fighting over who gets what and it's you know these possessions and you know who gets the the most dinner or, or whatever. But, but it's in adolescence it really comes online around the ages of thirteen or fourteen. A specific part of the brain begins to grow that is involved in measuring our our kind of reputation with our peer group. We become very 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 interested in. Not what the family thinks of us anymore, but what, what, our, peer, what our peers think of us. So those, this is status games. Um, so, so that's why parents have this sort of slightly sad experience when their kids have adolescence. They, 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 they lose influence over their children. Suddenly the, the kids at school have much more influence over their kids than the parents do. That's because they're becoming adult. Their brains are now interested in peer group. And it's actually what the peer group thinks of me that's important and is, and is going to define who I am. And, and that's why you get um, this kind of weird combination of behaviors in adolescents. where on, on the one hand, they're, they're often very, very, they take a lot of risks. So, you know, being crazy behind the wheel of a car or taking drugs or alcohol, they're taking a lot of risks. But at the same time, they're very, very sensitive and they get very embarrassed very easily. And that's because they're really, really, really interested in status all of a sudden. And it's brand new and it's massive. So, you know, the risk taking is all about showing off in front of the peers and the high embarrassment, the easily triggered embarrassment is because they're super sensitive to the judgment of their peers. So that, that's when it really comes online. And and, and that's, you know, th- at the ages of 13 and 14, all around the world, historically, that's when coming of age ceremonies happen. That's when, you know, in Christianity, in Catholicism, you become confirmed. That's when in Judaism, you have bar mitzvah. In lots of you know pre-modern tribes that's where you have that kind of you, know, you become a man or and so that that's when it when it really happens in, in early adolescence
1: so did, in that sense then would we do a better job as a society in helping adolescents to understand that process do you think i think so
0: and i think you know one of the big sort of wake-up calls for me really was was understanding i think there's a kind of folk belief especially in the west that what motivates people is money And, you know, when you're at school, the reason that you're doing exams and things is because you need money, 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 money. But actually, I think what's more important than money to the vast majority of people is identity, is who you are, you know, what games you're playing. And I think the journey of adolescence should be figuring out what you're just figuring out something you're quite good at and going and forget the money. Just go down that route of what are you quite good at? because if you can find a game to play in which you're better than average that, that that's that's a much more likely route to happiness and financial security ultimately than then uh, how can i pass this exam to get to this amazing university in order to get a high-paid job like, like like i i think that's a much more enlightened and psychologically useful way of approaching the challenges of adolescence
1: i there's never a time that's not good advice that's brilliant advice and it, it's something I think a lot about. Obviously, psychologists So I'm not a developmental psychologist. So I'm kind of older person, psychologist. But I, I not too old well necessarily. But I've got two young children, and I think a lot about our education system and exams. And I mean, they're three and five. They're not in this world yet. But the fact that you know, learning, I think the most important things are kind of learning who you are in life, learning what you're good at. I'm not very, probably quite weirdly because I've i you know I've I've been in the academic world I I can't you know other than becoming a professor and working in academia forever I've I've kind of done all the academic things I'm probably going to do and that would probably be available to me but I don't actually really when it comes to like advising my children for example I won't necessarily be pushing them to go to university or I think exactly as you said I'll be looking at helping them to figure out what they actually want to do, what makes them happy, what they're good at, like where their skills are. It's, the world is changing so rapidly. And also it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's not about, I think as you get older and like a lot of my work is uncovering, you know, what makes people happy, what, what helps people to thrive. And a lot of time it isn't, well, we know it's not necessarily money. It's not necessarily, um, you know, maybe one status game that you've chosen over another it's really figuring out what works for you who you are where your strengths are what's going to bring you moments of joy day to day and i think if we can get that advice to younger people then maybe we'll see a change in the world
0: yeah i think that's exactly right and i think the other thing the important thing to understand is that what you don't want to be pursuing is sudden high status like like I i think that the happier life is the one of gradual progress because we're making progress when we're slowly getting better at something and, and you know every now and again people notice oh you're, you're getting really good at this that's happiness and what you see in in, in people who, who achieve very high states very quickly is often they're completely miserable you, you know like it's the it, it's it's the classic kind of story of the pop star the miserable boy band member who has a nervous breakdown and you know that that story is far more normal than the story of of, of someone who just you know, leaves pop star happy. It's very unlikely it's going to happen because they've got all this status suddenly to lose. And also, I just don't think our brain. Well, they're not. Our brains aren't designed to deal with very high status. Our brains are tribal. Our brains are a tool for life in a small group. They're not designed to have these kind of global levels of status. And I think it, for most people who achieve that, it sends them a bit crazy. I mean, famous people are often mad, and they're often not very nice. Uh, you know, I remember from my days as a journalist, um, it was so unusual to meet a, a famous person that was that was somewhat nice, and then all they had to do was say, "So, what have you been up to today?" Like, the, the, do the most basic thing, and you go, "Oh, they were lovely. They were lovely." They they, they asked me how I was, and you know, so, so, so that that that's how little we expect famous people to be nice. It's almost expected that they're going to be arseholes. but but I think that's because we just people just aren't designed to have that level of of status, and I and I think. Achieving very high status is actually very bad for people.
1: And I love it in your book that you talk about one of the things we can do is to play multiple status games. Because then I think what you're saying is, and like definitely correct me if I'm wrong here, that if one of those games doesn't go to plan or we end up not being where we want to be in that status game, we've got other ones to fall back on as well.
0: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, I, I think when you're in your sort of teens and 20s and early 30s, I think it's probably right to really focus on one one game. Because in those years you're you're basically making the rest of your life. You know if you if you haven't established a game by the time you're thirty five, thirty six, you know you, you might be in a bit of trouble as an adult because what are you going to do? You know when are you going to get good at something? But I think beyond that, I think when you get into your thirties, I th- I think it's really important to diversify those status games. And I was certainly guilty of that for a long time. Um, I, I think when you're a parent, you automatically end up diversifying a bit because because that's that's another thing that you're you're doing is. People don't want to be just mums and dads. They want to be good mums and good dads, and they take they take pride and satisfaction in the feeling that they're good parents, and that's good and proper and, and right. Um, so, so that's a way of diversifying. But if you're like me, that you know, have children, um, and, and you're just playing this got sort of one game, you know, I, th- I think it's really important to find different ways of of achieving status. because every status game you play is a different identity. It's a different way that you've got of being you. It's a different room that you open up in your life, and 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 it's actually very powerful thing to do is to actually go out into the world and go, what else can I do? Who who else can I be?
1: Did you were you finding yourself that you were very much on like the career status game and had to diversify that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean all I did was write. That that's it. You know, because I wrote and my wife works too, so we're both very career oriented. But as a writer, of course, it's like like lots of things is I mean that's the thing about status is you can't own it. You know, you can't say, well this is my status, I've got it now. I'm gonna lock it in, it's safe, that it's protected. It's completely you know status is given to you by other people. So, so as a writer, you, can, you you can be on top of the world one day, you can have a great review in the Guardian one day, and then next day, I don't know, someone gives you a kicking, and you you feel like you're in the gutter. It's like your you, your identity has been ripped to shreds. So it's so it's a very vulnerable place to be. So yeah, I, I and literally because of this book, I deliberately went out into the world to find a different game to play. There was nothing to do with my career. So I, I volunteer now. I, I spend quite a lot of time volunteering, and of course, there's nothing's nothing to do with money. But but I take you know a lot of pleasure in it because it's a. Uh, yeah, as I say, it feels like a different room in my life has opened up. It's like I'm now living this extra bit of life. So it's, it's, I understand much more than why people do that. Like before I wrote the book, I wouldn't have considered volunteering at all. But now I, I really get it and, and I really get a lot out of it.
1: And that's the thing, isn't it? Because like, you and you also say in the book that, well, first of all, it's, it's unlimited. The amount of status games available to us and it kind of is our responsibility to perhaps introduce more of those into our lives so i guess that for some people that's going to take a bit of thinking or a bit of planning um or consideration but also i found it really interesting that you say that you're never going to win the status game and i find that quite hard i found that quite a bit of pill to swallow in some ways because first of all, i started the book thinking well i don't play status games anyway and then obviously realized i did so that was my first <laughs> that was my first upset moment and then realizing that actually now i know i'm playing this i'm then then I've come aware of the fact that I'm never going to win these games that I'm playing either. So that was another moment where I was thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to get on top of this? But actually, again, if you can, once I reframe that, I've thought about it a bit more. It's actually quite comforting in a way because firstly, we're all playing, you know, life is a game in lots of ways. And it kind of sometimes can, I think, take the seriousness out of some situations we find ourselves in. Maybe we can inject a bit of humour around that as well. And, you know, we're all playing one game or another. Um, but then also the fact that we can never win there is no end goal I you know I don't know I, I I can't even if I think about my work for example I don't know what the end goal would be I don't know at what point you know if there was a winning moment I don't know what that would be and I also know from other things that I've kind of really worked hard for in the past and achieved and got there I also know that when you do get there quite often it's not fulfilling anyway and you you I'm kind of thinking about the next thing or 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 I'm just not really that interested in that accolade anyway once I get there because I'm, I'm either past it or it doesn't really mean what I thought it was going to mean. But actually, it's, I've, I now find it quite comforting that we, we're never going to win this game. So it's more like playing something for fun rather than playing to win. That's what I've taken yeah, from Yeah, that. that's
0: right. I, I think that's right. And I, and I think that's the, the, the kind of self-knowledge that you get when you make the unconscious stuff sort of conscious. I mean, the, the brain is very good at telling us this story where... You're going to be happy. You know, one of the studies that that made me chuckle was that they, uh, it was in the book where they, some psychologists found uh, just a bunch of super, super rich people, millionaires and billionaires, like crazy rich people. And they asked them, how much money would you need in order to be perfectly happy? And absolutely consistently, they said between two to three times more money than I've got now to be perfectly happy. And it was funny because it's like, well, because for, for normal people, well, you, you've already got, you're not happy already. But of course, it, and also you laugh because it's, it's obviously not true that they're going to be perfectly happy when they get to a certain level of, of money. But that's the human condition. And that's the trick the brain, the brain always plays in us. And, and you know, we, we all know the classic story of, you know, as a writer, I just want a book deal. If I've got a book deal, I'd be happy. And you get the book deal. And the book. Nobody reads the book. Oh, and he, okay. I want a book deal, but it's got to be read by at least. And then it's always going up like that. And, and so you know, it's it's cruel in a sense because it robs you of the possibility of permanent happiness. Like we can never people, humans can never be permanently happy because this stuff can always be taken away. And there's always another mountain to climb. But it's functional because it keeps us climbing those mountains. It keeps us out there in the world, pushing and pushing and improving, improving and being of more and more valuable to the people that we share our lives with. So. As cruel as it is, it does make us better people in the sense that we're more useful to the human family.
1: And I love that. I I love that description. It brings me so much hope. And I, (laughs) this is what I'm taking from this conversation. And I feel like it brings status in whatever, you know, whatever game we're playing, whether it's volunteering, whether it's working hard in our careers, whether we're changing something, you know. Because even if you think about, you know, working hard in your career, quite often you're not just doing that for yourself. Sometimes you'll do it to prove something to yourself, but sometimes you'll do it for other people. It could be your family, it could be, you know, people that are gonna read your work or people that you're going to help do your work, or there often is an element of kind of, you know, most of us don't work in silos on our way with no interaction with any other humans. There, there are other people generally that are involved in that process that a lot of the time we're kind of helping them as well. Um, but I feel like this, I knowing, knowing what is important to us in terms of status and which of those games we're playing and when, and obviously we can change that at any point helps bring meaning to our life. And we know like from a psychology perspective, we know that meaning is a, crucial ingredient for happiness at moments joy if you want joy in your life resilience so being able to overcome adversity and grow from that adversity reducing stress meaning can help with that as well so actually there's huge like psychological benefit like health benefits for understanding this status game and using it in a way that works for you that's right And, and
0: and you know when i think about meaning the meaning of life uh, you know, what is it? But, well, for me, it's those two things. It's connection and status. It's getting along and getting ahead. If you think about the most meaningful pers- moments in your life, if you think about the moments where you felt like most kind of in tune with your identity, it's one of those two things. It's, it's either it's a moment of connection. It's when I got married, when I met my partner, when I had my baby, when I retired and everybody applauded or whatever it is, or it's status. It's a, it's when I achieve this, when I achieve that, um, when, I, when I finally cracked this challenge i've been trying to trying to crack so that's what meaning is it's it's connection and status it's getting along and getting ahead those are the points where the brain rewards us and goes yeah you're living a meaningful life because you've increased connection or you've increased status it's one of those one of those two things
1: how did you kind of stumble across this concept of the status game
0: well so my second book was called the heretics and the heretics was this um i was trying to find out why clever people end up believing crazy things. So, so, so how, how come a smart historian ends up being a Holocaust denier? How come this person who went to Oxford University believes in the literal truth of the, the Old Testament or you know, whatever it might be? And so the answer to that question was that because the brain isn't particularly interested in the truth, it's, it's a storyteller. Uh, you know, the brain takes reality and conjures it into this kind of, hero- tends to be a, a somewhat heroic story about ourselves and our place in the world. And so, and intelligence is no inoculation to that smartness doesn't stop that happening and in fact it makes it worse like what some psychologists believe is that intelligence makes you better able better at kind of reinforcing your own biases and stories but it doesn't make you any better at undermining your, your own arguments so so really smart people can end up in really strange places um so so that was the, that was the introduction to this idea of the storytelling brain something that As something that's a storyteller is you know for a job i found that very interesting because it kind of flipped it you know you, you often heard this idea that um the brain is like a story but actually it's more like a a story is like a brain like what what storytellers are doing are trying to basically mimicking the way that kind of consciousness works so that that was the heretics and then the next book was selfie which is much more about how culture and um environment sorry my dog's having a dream by my feet so he might hear some strange noises (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, how culture and environment kind of invisibly affects who we are. And it's really a story about the Western self, like who we are as Westerners and how Western culture affects who we are. But the status game is really, so, so they were both about the conscious, the consciousness, you know, consciousness being a story. And what the status game is is, is, is sort of diving into the subconscious. It's saying, okay, so if consciousness is a story, if that's the our conscious experience of life, what's actually going on under the hood. And one of those things is is, is the state, it's not, so this game isn't the only thing. But it's one of those things that's going on under the hood.
1: And it's probably one of the things that is least explored, I'd imagine, in, you know, it's always about belonging connection. And we know a lot more about that. So I think that's what makes this topic really, really interesting. Certainly from a psychology perspective, it's what makes it really, really interesting. What, um, what are you going to work on next? Do you know? Yeah,
0: so I'm working on a book at the moment. I'm thinking about a book. It's, it's going to be called You Are a Story. and it's um And it's really going back into that kind of idea... You know, knowing what I found out now about subconscious is sort of it's putting it all together but in much more of a kind of almost like a self help type of book, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's applying. Um, it's basically saying, okay, if, if you were a story, if your experience of life is a story, what does that mean for your day-to-day life? What, what are the, what, what are the traps that you might fall into? What are, what are, what, what are the things that, might, that, that, that could go wrong in your life because of this stuff? Uh, but also what are the opportunities? How can, how can you try to live a better life? knowing that so much of you is this illusion, is this is this tale that your brain is spinning. So it's at very early stages at the moment. But, but yeah, but it's called You Are a Story and it's, it, should be, it should be out in a couple of
1: years. <laughs> a couple, just a couple of years. That's what also blows my mind, is the amount of research that goes into your work. It's, you know, the fact that you know it's going to be a couple of years. And actually, that sounds amazing. I'm looking forward to that already. And how, just like, a question aside, like not even about the, the actual topic, how do you keep going when you're writing about the same topic for a couple of years? I would find that
0: so hard. How do I keep going? Yeah, I'm. I'm just genuinely interested in this stuff, and 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 it's really exciting to be playing with ideas. Like I love playing with ideas, and you know, you reading a zillion books and then trying to figure out build them into something new. You know, I find that, it, and then you know, so so. so come up with the idea of the status game then then your mission is to prove it and 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 it's quite scary because sometimes you read things you think oh my god maybe i'm completely wrong about this and but then when you when you kind of figure out that you're not wrong it's really exciting and yeah so i i think that's that's how you keep going it's this is this kind of journey of discovery and it's the excitement that you're you're hopefully kind of building something new you're saying something that's never been said before i I think that's the that's the excitement for me
1: and that that definitely happened with the status game for sure like it got me thinking Got me questioning what I knew about psychology and how the brain works. So that was it was you know and like I said it was uncomfortable moments, but it was also really enlightening. It, it, I think it's a it's a concept that can help so many people. Was that quite a was that quite a hard sell coming up like selling the status game? That concept was it? People kind of latch onto it. I'm thinking like right from publisher like experience yeah it it?
0: no like you could because i think the book before that sounds of storytelling had done really well so the so it wasn't so bad it, was, it wasn't difficult to get it away with the publisher but the public was much harder than, than i was expecting i got quite a bit of pushback I, I got i got i got some review you know like in the new york times were not happy with the book they they they, 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 they found there's a guy called david brooks who's a brilliant writer um, uh, who, who he was very nice, <laughs> but, but he said, I, I think he, said, he thought I'd been captured by evolutionary psychology. And he kind of was arguing that, that, that because he's a progressive um, person, he, 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 you know, he wants to believe that life is a story and not a game, but I just, I, I felt like he hadn't really understood that I'm saying it's both, but, but, but yes, yeah, so, but, but, yeah, but you could tell he had this very, even though he's, he, he likes my work generally, he had a very sort of deep emotional reaction against this so and i i encountered that you know they've that quite quite a lot it was just some yeah i mean there was a review in the the new statesman that just said the book was just all completely obvious and and i just thought it isn't obvious
1: it was <laughs> because, not obvious to me <laughs>
0: because i spent years trying to like prove it to myself and so i kind of took that or i i, I just sort of reframed that as well if it felt obvious it means i did a good job of um arguing my case <laughs> because believe me lo- lots of people think it's not obvious and lots of people think it's not true i definitely in the reviewer space had a lot more pushback with the status scale than i've ever had with any other book Like you know we, got, we had some really nice reviews but, but we also had some very smart people who didn't like the book at all i didn't, didn't like the message and I, and I think for the for the reasons that we were saying at the beginning i i, I think i underestimated how much the, the, the immediate emotional pushback which is that, that people think i'm sort of shitting on the human condition I think it's a very negative cynical thing to say and, I, and I, I probably could have done a better job of reframing it from the beginning and say you know but I still I am um, it's ended up doing doing well the book so I'm pleased pleased with that
1: and actually depending kind of what game you're playing it's actually quite a compliment that people don't necessarily understand it straight away or people have very strong opinions or reactions because it's supposed to get people thinking and that's and that. It's truly what what you've done talking about this topic. So I guess reframing it to it got a great reaction, and it's changed <laughs> the way I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, thank you, Jim. Yeah, I appreciate that. And like you know, I, I, you know, obviously, getting bad reviews is because it's status; it's, it hurts. Yeah. But also, you, you can't forget as a writer that you're lucky to get reviewed at all, and and, and it's it's a, it's a privilege to have your books written about by you know by people, even if they even if even if they're calling you a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Although I have to say, like, I would definitely struggle with that. I'm I'm far too sensitive to be putting stuff out there like that. So, you know, I applaud you for even, for even doing that. And, and tackling a topic which, you know, is emotionally charged. It is, it does get people thinking. It, it, it's really made me question, you know, how I interact with people and the way that I behave. And I'm, I'm sure it's done the same thing for a lot of other people as well. Something else I'd really like to kind of just delve into is, is there a way that we can use this status game to either help us to build resilience or to navigate uncertainty or when life is uncomfortable. I guess what I'm really trying to get at is how can we, in a really changeable, complex, you know, uncertain world, which that's not going anywhere. I know we've had extreme uncertainty over the last few years, but that's probably not going anywhere. Maybe not to the same extent, but, you know, Things do move quickly. Things do change quickly. If we understand this process of the status game and how it works for us, can we use that to our advantage to... to, to...
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, one of the big things that I kind of realised was that, you know, you, status is this, you know, social nutrient. People need it. And it's such a gift that you can give other people. And it's free. That's the amazing thing about status. You can do, it's yours to give to other people. As long as it feels authentic and you're not doing that horrible LA, Hollywood thing of, oh, my God, you're gorgeous. You know, as long as it feels authentic, you have this to give. It's like you've got free gold to give to anybody. And, and, and that's an amazing thing. So, we, so we've all got this huge gift. No matter what people say, you often say, I don't care what people think of me. They really do. They're telling you they don't care what people think of them because they want to impress you. That's why they say that thing, you know. So, so we have this great resource to give to other people. And, and actually, it gets paid back to us, I, th- I think, because if you're generous with the status that you give, people want to hang around you. P- people like you because they like the feeling that they feel when they're around you. So when you give, when you're generous with the status that you give, you get, you get paid back in, in increased connection, actually, and actually an in increased um status. So, so it's, and that's good for resilience because, you know, as, as you will well know that the more people we have around us, the more resilient we are. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is just going back to the idea of um, just playing multiple games, you know, hedge. If you've got capacity and you'll have to, to do any volunteering, volunteer, you know, because I, I promise you, you'll get something out of it. Um, there's nothing to do with money and nothing to do with being cool or anything like that, but it's to do with feeling like a valuable person, that you're doing some good in the world. And, and that's deeply nourishing to the human animal, uh, to most of us. So that's the other thing is to, to kind of hedge, you know, stop worrying about, as long, you know, I don't want to be facile about money. Money is important if you, ha- if you don't have much of it, of course. Um, but if you've got enough to, to, to pay your bills and all that stuff, try to worry a bit, a bit less about it because it really isn't going to make you happy. What's going to make you happy is you know, the, the connect, your, your connection with the people around you but, and also these kind of regular hits of regular reminders from the people that you share life with that you are, you're offering value.
1: Brilliant advice. And it's something, like you said, so we can all do. And so much of that is free. So offering status, build, which is going to help us to build connection. Like you said, that, that is a key, crucial factor in building resilience is a, is a support kind of buffer around you. So if you, so knowing what you know now in terms of how our brains work and you, if you went back in time to young Will, maybe adolescent Will, I don't know, um, you can choose what age, it's up to you, what would you say or what advice would you give?
0: That's a really good question. I mean, you know, I, 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 I kind of cringe when I remember who I was when I was at school. Um, I was a real dickhead, I think, sometimes. <laughs> um, when we all I, I, will. I think that um, I would tell him to, to value connection a bit more. You, you know, I, I think that's the thing. I, I think that... Um, I think we're all wired differently, and some of us are wired to to want status a bit more than connection. Some people are wired to want connection a bit more than status, and I and I would have preferred to sort of go, you know, go the other way a bit and and kind of value, um, you know, be. I was always a bit of a rebel and a bit of a loud mouth and a bit of a disruptor, and and and, and actually just I wish I could sort calmed down a bit and, and knowing what i know, know about adolescence i mean it's all about status and, and trying to get people to look at me but but without any offering any value you know it's just a dickhead so so yeah and it's, it's almost like what, you, what i would say to I always want to sort of when i see stories about sort of harry and megs when they're trying to get all their attention it's like you've got to offer value first right you can't just say i'm i'm offering service but you're not offering any service. Like, 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 like you've got to, that's a very juvenile way of trying to get status. So, so, so I, I think I'd, I, I'd tell me what I'd want to tell Harry and Megan was like, you're going to be fine, but you've got to actually earn the status. You can't just claim it, you know.
1: I mean, what a brilliant piece of advice. And <laughs> <laughs> and it is interesting. It makes me think about going back. And so, you know, in, in some respects, I'd probably say similar things to an adolescent, me as well, and thinking, you know, the, ga- the status games that I was playing, potentially. And yeah, I know, I know that feeling of looking back and thinking, and it's been a bit <laughs> cringing at that as well. So what, I think what we're what probably all in that way. What game were oh, you playing at school then? I think I played... Well, I, well interestingly, I changed school. So I, I did my first year of secondary school. Um, some are completely different so I did the rest of it. And I moved on purpose because my first... Year, I went from a very, very tiny primary school. There was like 15 people in our year. It was teeny tiny. To um, obviously a massive secondary school and I never found my place I didn't find I couldn't figure out where to be or where to place myself or how I did I couldn't figure out how it all worked, and um it was quite overwhelming and I've realized since it's been literally only the last couple of years I, I I've got like high sensory processing so like I'm just very sensitive to everything like like dynamics of things and how people get along and and, and politically how things work And it was just very overwhelming. I never really got a grasp of where I was supposed to be. And I did not enjoy the process at all. So I moved schools in year eight the second year of secondary school. I was a completely different person. I just reinvented myself. I just went... I mean, I wasn't completely different. I was still kind of myself. But I went there with the knowledge that I'm not going to be that person anymore, like deer in headlights, not knowing what I'm doing. So I kind of aligned myself with people who were popular or people that were... I wouldn't say I was necessarily like a core cool part of that group. And I definitely always felt a bit different. I never really completely fitted in with that. But I was very conscious of, so that's, that's a huge status game. I was very conscious. I'd learned my lesson that actually, if I want to get by here, if I want an easy life, if I want, uh you know, if I, if, if I want to be respected, if I want to have some fun, then I need to make sure that I'm aligning myself with the right people. I mean, that's terrible to yeah, say, yeah. isn't it? I look back at that and I'm like, what was I thinking? But it's survival, I guess. The, that's what but, I was thinking. But, but, but,
0: but that's what we do at that age. I mean, that, that's what we do. It's, it, it, it's, um, you know, I, I, in the book, you know, I write about the um, the study that was done of, of the cheerleader life in, the, in American primary school, uh, secondary school, I think they call it high school over there, don't they? And, and it's very similar. Like, like, like you know, that's what, that, that's what the cool groups are. Right? They're little tribes, they're little status games. And and, and and the brain just automatically learns all these lessons like status leaks like whoever you're adjacent to you're going to get some of their status and and that's why the cool people don't want to hang out with the not cool people because then that you know it's all going to leak out out of them and and you do you learn and, and it's it's still very interesting that you're able uh, to kind of leave one school and enjoy another one and, and reinvent you know you create a new identity and you do that by playing a different status game and and, and that's that's what that that part of life is is about you're you're creating your identity but you do that by figuring out what you know what what games you're going to play
1: it's so i mean it's so interesting looking back on that now and knowing what i know about status and you know i you know i'm really learning this now that that's and it's actually this book that got me thinking about that i'd never really thought i've never really considered how that played out before but i guess if i was going to go back i i my advice would be just be more of yourself like you can like cuz i think I'd kind of gone so far into a bit more of a persona that perhaps I wasn't. And it took me lots and lots of years to build really genuine friendships. And like, kind of as I got later towards secondary school, that started to happen. Um, And people that I'm friends with forever now, you know. Like, but it took a, it took long, because I think I, I, I'd go back and, you know, like, I guess my advice would be to be yourself. And, and yes, you've got to play a status game. I guess we're all playing that in one way or another. But maybe, I feel like maybe I played that one a little bit too well. In some respects, yeah, because
0: I, I think that's the nature of the beast. Is that there's a sense of conformity in status games, and that, and that's what, and again, that's one of these kind of classic observations we will make about teenagers. Is that they'll they'll think they're individuals, but actually they're just all copying each other. But that, but that's what we do. Is it's you know you're playing this status game, so you're all copying each other, but you're all trying to be you're competing with the best version of whatever that ideal self that manifests in in your group is, and and that that journey of sort of being yourself, I suppose, is. It's something that we go through, isn't it? We get a bit older when we realise that that actually, you know, I don't have to fit in completely with this group. I can be my own version of, of this thing. And it, I mean, there, there's so much conformity in, in teenage cognition, isn't there? Because because everyone's desperately trying to kind of fit in with their peer group.
1: It's an interesting concept, but it's, um, yeah, it's been enlightening. And I uh, thank you so much today. Thank you. Like even explaining how the status game works and what we can do about it. It's been an amazing conversation. So thank you.
0: It's really great. Thank you.
1: The Mindset Matters podcast is not for profit, supporting Bloom Mental Health UK's resilience programme for young people. Each time you listen to an episode, you're helping teens and young adults benefit from getting the support they need to become more resilient. You can discover more about the Bloom programme and their impact at mentalhealth-uk.org. The status game is such an interesting concept, and one where, after reflecting on the way that I play the game of life, made me see myself in a whole new light. I recognised the ways in which I have used and still use status to find connection and belonging, and how much, as Will describes, we need it as humans. Status can sound a bit like a dirty word, akin to that of having an ego, being power hungry and full of self-importance. But what I loved about what Will says is that it's also something that you can give to others. By finding his way into volunteering, his status of volunteer is one which he can give back to the community without striving for money or success, but instead simply giving himself a role and a purpose with shared value. By finding his way into volunteering, his status of volunteer is one where he can give back to the community without striving for money or success, but instead simply giving himself a role and a purpose with shared value. I know from my research that connection is a crucial factor in building resilience, and status plays a role in this. The more you can play the status game to build positive connections with people, the more likely you are to create a strong support system, boosting your resilience. Finally, if you haven't read The Status Game, I'd highly recommend it. Thanks again, Will, and thanks to you for listening to this episode of Mindset Matters.